Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Now preparing your carving knives. Strap in folks, the nerds have arrived, bringing you the ultimate nerd podcast. Nerds, the worlds of gaming, horror, TV, and film have collided right here. This will be your finest hour. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, and somewhat of an abbreviated version of the show due to the holiday, we're going to be discussing all the latest headlines from the wonderful world of nerdum, and we've got a film review for Eli Ross Thanksgiving. Plus, I'm giving my reactions to the first half of Invincible Season 2, and we got a review for Scott Pilgrim Takes Off. But we will not be talking wrestling this week, just to give you as a heads up. We will get into more AEW talk on the next episode of the Amazing Nerd Show. But for now... Let's get into the news. Every week we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters, we're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning, potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. All right, up first in a big move, Star Wars finally has someone new leading the charge creatively. Dave Filoni, while being interviewed by Vanity Fair this week, announced that he is officially the chief creative officer for Lucasfilm. As Filoni describes it, his role will now put him at the forefront of all future Star Wars projects from their very inception. Filoni looks forward to guiding the ship going forward as they make their you know slow return to the big screen. Kathleen Kennedy still remains as president of Lucasfilm, but now Filoni weighs in a lot more on the creative narrative going forward so it looks like all our prayers have finally been answered i mean i think us along with a big portion of star wars fandom had been calling for feloni to steer the ship for quite a while now uh he has proven time after time especially recently with you know uh, the ahsoka series that he understands this universe and just big picture storytelling he has a true vision for every character that he seemingly touches you know from main character arcs like ahsoka to side characters like echo um and that is you know something that the sequel trilogy sorely needed um you know too many executives and suits like you know kathleen kennedy we're trying to read the room and constantly course correct and you can't do that you know it just leads to mind-boggling decisions like fucking Raylo um you know they needed someone like Filoni to you know keep them on course and now they finally have him doing exactly that also Filoni spent a good amount of time underneath Lucas's learning tree so like I said, he truly understands Star Wars. I mean, for once since Disney bought the franchise, I finally feel like it's in safe hands now. Yeah, it's definitely calmed down my nerves. In Filoni, we trust. Up next, we've got some major casting rumors for James Gunn's upcoming Superman legacy. Sources at The Hollywood Reporter claim Nicholas Holt of Mad Max and X-Men fame is in talks for the role of Lex Luthor in Superman legacy. While no deal has been officially made, Holt has been rumored for several roles in Superman Legacy over the past few months, including Superman at one point, who we now know is going to be played by David Cornsweet. Variety also reported this week that Skylar Gisando from um, Righteous Gemstones has been casted as Jimmy Olsen, while Sarah Sapio, who starred this year in At Midnight, has been casted for Eve Taskmaker. So I don't really know the other actors, um, you know, in this story, but if all of this is true, I think Nicholas Holt will make a fantastic Lex Luthor. Um, he's 
an extremely talented actor. Uh, I recently just saw him do an, an amazing job in Redfield and, you know what, The Menu uh, that came out last year. Uh, so I, I think he'll kill it as Lex. He's one of those actors whose name is always coming up in these like big casting rumor stories. So it just felt like it was really a matter of time before he landed a big role like this. For me personally, I can't picture him in the role just yet, but I do like the actor. I do believe he has a lot of potential for, you know, a big villain role like this. Plus, anything's got to be better than what we got with Jesse Eisenberg. So uh, I'll give him, you know, a chance here at least. But speaking of casting, we also got another update for Fantastic Four as Anya Taylor-Joy seems to be jumping from X-Men to Fantastic Four as Daniel RPK sources claim she may be playing a female Silver Surfer. While there have been female heralds before for Galactus, the Silver Surfer has typically been a male character and reports claim Marvel will be gender bending the role for Anya, who is a fantastic actor and can easily pull off a troubled character like Silver Surfer. So there's no you know worries there. And as we heard last week, um, Javier Bell Dem should be playing Galactus as rumored. It really just feels like Disney is, you know, getting all the casting out of the way now since the strikes are finally over. So hopefully we'll be getting an announcement in the upcoming year of who the official team is for the Fantastic Four and who they're going up against. All right. So lastly, the upcoming Scream 7 erupts in controversy this week. Variety reported this week that Melissa Barrera, who played Sam in the more recent Scream films, was removed from the next installment of Scream after her recent comments about the situation in Palestine. And following this news, we learned that Jenna Ortega would also be out due to scheduling conflicts with the Netflix Wednesday series. That's both of the biggest stars in the newest iterations of Scream out after what was a successful start for these new films. The creative team now being led by director Christopher Landon will be reassessing the story going forward. So this is a fucking mess. Um, I read some of her comments um, and I don't quite understand why she was fired, but maybe I missed something. I don't know, but we're not that kind of podcast, so we'll just move on. Let's talk about the repercussions. Um, you know, at first, I was like, I guess they could make Jenna Ortega's character the lead. I mean, she's a rising star who's super popular right now. But then the report came out that she was only going to be in the film for a small cameo. And... Now that's not even happening because of like scheduling conflicts with Wednesday. Uh, the timing of the report coming out feels a little suspect since it was literally a day after um, everything kind of, you know, hit the fan. Uh, I also can't imagine with her star power currently that they wouldn't be willing to wait a couple months to start production. Um, especially if they're having to like reset the table and you know frame the film around her um you know it'd be a great way to clean up this mess but i don't know like i i just feel like she might have saw the controversy and just said hard pass i'm out of here uh there's also reports that they might reach out to nev campbell and patrick dempsey to reprise their characters which i guess I mean, there's definitely unfinished business with Sydney, but if you remember, like, she passed in the last film because she was just insulted by Spyglass's lowball offer. So, you know, I could see them having to really offer a giant bag to get her back at this point. And, you know, with all the drama, she might not want any part of this film also. Uh, so they literally have, at this point, like, two 
different sets of main characters uh, that might not get any closure story-wise, which just absolutely sucks. Um, like I said, I mean, this is just a mess. Maybe it's time they do a hard reset and, you know, just reboot the franchise. I mean, no one really wants a film centered around fucking Gail Weathers, that's for sure. I guess, like, you could go the recasting route, but that's just gonna leave a bad taste in everyone's mouth, I think. It just sucks because I really liked the last two films, but it is what it is. Yeah, I've never been a big Scream fan, but these last two films really hooked me. So it is really annoying to see, you know, this stuff happen. But like you said, it is what it is. Uh, if they do go the reboot route, um, I hope that they at least maybe wait an extra year or two uh, just to give it some time pass and all that shit, because I don't know, I, I feel like even if they, if they reboot it right away, um, I, I still feel like people are going to, you know, fling shit right at it. And now for the nerds review of Eli Roth's Thanksgiving. And now, our feature presentation. No, 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 no! Someone's out for revenge, and they're turning it into a sick holiday game. This is weird. We're all tagged, and our names are at the table. But why us? After a Black Friday riot ends in tragedy, a mysterious Thanksgiving-inspired killer terrorizes the town of Plymouth, the birthplace of the infamous holiday. This was directed by Eli Roth and stars Patrick Dempsey, Ty Olson, and Gina Gresham. Eli Roth's Thanksgiving is probably one of the most anticipated slasher films in horror history. Ever since 2007, when the director produced a mock trailer for the holiday slasher in Tarantino's Grindhouse double feature, horror fans have been clamoring for it. It's honestly the kind of film when Raw's career took off in the early 2000s that we all thought his filmography would be filled with. And while we've gotten some true horror classics from the director slash producer, he's also been dipping his toe unexpectedly in mainstream waters. So when Roth officially announced Thanksgiving to be his next film, genre fans rejoice. And rightfully so, uh, because what Roth managed to carve up is an absolute feast for all horror nerds to devour. And I promise that will be my last Thanksgiving metaphor for this review. I apologize. Um, now, a year after Plymouth, Massachusetts is struck by tragedy on Black Friday, uh, the town is terrorized by a macabre killer looking for revenge. So now, when I saw the first real trailer for the film, I was pretty disappointed that Roth chose not to go with the retro aesthetic from his original Grindhouse feature trailer that, you know, made Thanksgiving feel like some kind of lost drive-in film from yesteryear. Instead, he went modern day and he chose to tell the, the story as straightforward as possible. And, you know, after seeing the film, I now understand why. This isn't meant to be a self-aware parody, it's more of a celebration of the subgenre and what made it so great in the first place. Thanksgiving is filled with imaginative kills, unapologetic gore, and dare I say a killer that might become iconic one day. I mean, it's the kind of film that kept horror fans packing the theaters back in the day. Yes, I mean, the tropes are all here, but Roth shows us why they became tropes in the first place, because they work when they're done right. I mean, as ridiculous as a Pilgrim-themed killer sounds, and that's pretty fucking ridiculous, 
Roth still manages to make John Carver scary in moments that count, and he doesn't shy away from building suspenseful scenes instead of just filling a body count quota. I mean, don't get me wrong, there's plenty of murder and carnage to go around, but it's all earned and done in a way that, you know, you don't go numb to it by the third or fourth kill. And, I mean, this film is really aided by being centered around a mystery of who's behind the mask. A mystery that really does keep you guessing because there's tons of red herrings throughout this movie. Genre classics like My Bloody Valentine and Happy Birthday to Me are definitely in Thanksgiving's DNA, along with the Jalo films that inspired them. You could really tell that this was a passion project for Roth, and that he wanted to give us something a little more than just what we saw in that first original fake trailer. As an example, he even managed to stick on a nice satirical message about how consumerism is destroying the holiday in real entertaining fashion. Um, but I don't want to give too much away. So, you know, at the end of the day, I think my only real issue with the film is with the main friend group. Um, you know, in Roth's other films, he had this flair for dialogue and making some of the most unlikable characters somehow likable. This definitely wasn't the case here. Um, that main friend group comes off incredibly wooden and dry at times. And I don't know if this is a script problem or just a performance issue or maybe both. Um, they're just kind of there and completely forgettable and you never find yourself caring or rooting for them at any point in the movie. You know, even though we spend a decent amount of time with them, um, in the long run, they're just kind of cannon fodder. I mean, it's not a deal breaker, but I don't know. It just felt like a, a missed opportunity that could have elevated the film even further. But I digress. When all said and done, I'm going to go ahead and give Eli Ross Thanksgiving a B+. It was definitely worth the wait. It's a damn good slasher film that checks most boxes, even with this hardened horror fan. Um, you know, there's a nice little renaissance going on with slasher films right now. So let's keep that going. You know, make sure you go out and support this movie and show studios we're bloodthirsty maniacs who want more. Uh, Eli Roth Thanksgiving is now playing at a theater near you. And now for the nerds review of Scott Pilgrim Takes Off. Spoilers ahead, you have been warned. Hey, wanna go out sometime? You wanna go on a date with me? Ramona Flowers has seven evil exes, all of whom you must defeat in order to date her. What? After the 2010 film, I was always enamored with the Scott Pilgrim story, having picked up and read, you know, Brian O'Malley's original graphic novels as well multiple times, which is actually something seldom I ever do. So I was pretty excited at the prospects of a Scott Pilgrim animated series as I had high hopes that the series was going to take a deeper dive into the source material than the film ever did. However, that's not what this series is at all. And while critically the show is getting a ton of praise online, I found myself just not as endeared to this alternate take of the story of Scott Pilgrim and his precious little life. In the book, Scott is a very flawed character with you know some delusions to his own personal greatness that I felt by the book's end, he had learned from with, with also the side characters having to face their own demons as well, and growing from that. In this new telling from the very start with his fight with Matthew Patel, 
everything is sent into an alternate world where it's kind of like what if Scott had never beat the seven deadly axes and started his relationship with Ramona. Scott is basically missing from a majority of the season as we then pivot to Ramona trying to find the boy she had a spark with as she's not convinced he's dead. This time with Ramona and several of the other side characters and evil exes is still fun to watch as you see their lives get completely turned upside down by the removal of their obsession with Ramona since they realize they don't win Ramona back if Scott loses. Gideon's control over the group fades away and they all go about living their own lives as we see Ramona finding each one of them you know, to interrogate them on what they might have done to the now missing Scott. So each evil ex goes from kind of being evil to someone the show tries to get you behind in their new ventures. In its own way, these you know are fun reimaginings of the characters, but two thirds through the season, I found myself just getting kind of bored by it all. They are all kind of you know living normal lives without Scott. And on top of that, the mystery itself isn't all that surprising. And by the time the results are revealed to Ramona and we learn what really happened to Scott, I was kind of checked out by the story entirely and already predicted where it was all going, which led to a somewhat lackluster finale in my eyes. This is still very much, you know, the author's work here in this series, but so much has changed from the original story, it just lost my interest by its end. I feel like a modernized version of the source material was possible where they still could have gotten their points across without the removal of Scott. And all those side characters still could have been you know, given more agency and purpose. After all, a series is still long form storytelling. And when you strip Scott of his story as well, you kind of lose the connection between him and Ramona, along with several other characters. They had one date in this story, and I'm supposed to believe the sparks that she felt then were enough to lead her down this path of you know going on a manhunt to find him even after knowing he was technically cheating on her during their date ramona's personal struggles with her abusive ex gideon are also kind of only briefly mentioned where i felt you could have you know really changed the story there and gone with a different metaphor than you used in the books i think that's just my main bias though as i was expecting a deeper look into the source material and we just didn't get that so i was more on the disappointed side when i saw all of this and the show we did get just didn't meet the excitement of the original film or graphic novels in my eyes. There are plenty of fun moments with the characters I love, but with some of their more interesting character development moments stripped from their story. I just wasn't all that into it. And with that said, I feel like this series expects you to also have already been a fan of Scott Pilgrim since you lose a lot of that original connective tissue between characters, especially when you get this alternative take. Again, it's just hard for me to believe that Ramona would have been this interested in Scott after just their first date and learning he wasn't being honest as well. Like, I feel like the story that made the most sense was Knives, and her kind of growth and development over this series because it makes sense that you know without scott there to obsess over she would you know look more internally and you know do better for herself overall the animation is great though and getting to see the graphic novel style be represented here was very cool my only other big criticism on the show was the sometimes you know shaky voice acting i felt mary elizabeth weinstead did a you know decent job as ramona and so did a few others from the returning cast like you know kieran culkin as wallace wells but no one stood out quite like Brie Larson as Envy Adams. She did the best audio work amongst the bunch. Like it didn't even sound like her to me. Other times, especially Michael Sarah as Scott, it felt like, you know, they just came into the booth 
exhausted just running through lines, which them getting the original film cast was also another reason why I was excited to see this come out. But then it felt like they half-assed all that. But maybe that's just me. For my grade, I will be giving Scott Pilgrim Takes Off a C. There was a lot they could have done I feel like there was a lot they could have done with eight episodes and I know I may be going against the grain here but the story just did not deliver. There's incredible visuals, tons of fun moments with these characters that kept me entertained but overall I feel like I just mostly will forget this series ever happened by next year. And now the nerds react to Invincible season two. Mild spoilers ahead, you have been warned. I did but it turns out he's a Viltramite too. His name is Mark, and he's only half Viltramite. Unbelievable. I know, I know. It sounds bad, but he is not like them. He didn't even know what a Viltramite was until recently. We are at the halfway point for Invincible, with the second half set for an undisclosed date in 2024. Honestly, I was unaware they were going to be doing a mid-season break to begin with, but the first half has definitely been solid. As like I said in my you know episode one reactions, this season is heavy with the concept of grief. And you know, moving on from the events of what took place, you know with everything that Omni-Man did and his true purpose on Earth. And to be going through some of this, I will be talking some spoilers here. So keep that in mind as I continue on. But we also learn here the greater effect that Omni-Man's life on Earth had on him with his inevitable reunion with Mark. The story that I have been you know, most drawn to is Mark's mother this season struggling to be a parent and, and be strong for her son in the wake of everything that was you know happening as Mark graduates high school and moves on to his life in college which I was actually kind of disappointed that we didn't get more episodes during summer break for him, but whatever, it's, that's more of a nitpick. Either way, it's such a hard story because as she puts it, how is she able to you know, fully move on knowing that Omni-Man is still out there, having abandoned them? And it also puts a wedge between her and others grieving their superhero partners whose deaths have also come from her evil ex-husband. She's just kind of in this all alone especially while Mark is out there trying to be a superhero, which is kind of what they've juxtaposed here as Mark, you know, trying his best to not be his dad while Cecil tries to control him, which only leads him down a path to running into his own father. Side characters like Adam Eve are also getting plenty of time as she's still out there trying to, you know, help others, but realizing maybe her powers are doing more harm than good. And our potential big bad for this season is still out there doing something in the multiverse, but we've barely scraped the surface with that story so far. You know, at times I feel like it's all moving faster than I expected. Like I thought we would, you know, get at least a maybe a season without seeing Omni-Man, but I'm not bumping up against it. It just makes me wonder if like, we're gonna get the Viltrumites showing up on Earth this season, rather than, you know, a third season or something like that. Rumors claim that the second half is scheduled for early 2024, but like I said, there's no concrete date at this time, which kind of sucks as I'm really getting into this show. I kind of binge watched the last three episodes this week, but it's still a great time. And if you haven't caught up, this is probably your chance. So I highly recommend the series in general. And I'm excited to see where the story goes you know, from here, you know, we have now Mark with his father and uh, a lot more going on um, on that side of the story as well that I don't want to spoil here. So to so let us know what your thoughts on Invincible Season 2 has been in social media. That's at Amazing Nerd Show on all your favorite social media sites. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. Thanksgiving week so gaming news has definitely slowed down per usual it's all about the big sales that's going on hell I think there was a year where I actually went through 
some of the big sales going on not that much really uh to be excited about this year i mean you've got the steam sale going on and stuff like that but i wouldn't say like the console deals are all that crazy uh, some of the biggest headlines this week were mostly about Rockstar having, you know, tried to develop a zombie survival game and what seems like a super spy game as well, which both were canceled because the studio wanted to focus on GTA. Not all that interesting if you ask me, but what did catch my eye this week was yet again another rumor claiming that the Knights of the Old Republic remake may not be as dead as we thought. Embracer Group has been closing studios and firing people left and right, and their investments into the gaming sphere haven't really brought them all the results that they were you know, looking for. Embracer, as we've reported on these past few years, went on a spending spree, picking up tons of third-party studios and becoming kind of a big name in the gaming industry. However, after some failed game releases like the latest Saints Row, things have been downhill for all those studios they grabbed. A big fear amongst gamers has been, you know, what does this mean for the remake of Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic from the studio Aspire, which many reports have claimed is dead in the water. Well, rumors have, you know, sparked up again. Two developers at Saber Interactive claim the game is still in development per a report by Bloomberg. There has been, you know, counter reports from Jeff Grubb of Giant Bomb that claim that the game is still dead, though Jason Schreier of Bloomberg, after getting these reports, believes that the game is still on its way. At this point, with this much hype, I'm really surprised that like Disney or whoever has the rights isn't just gonna shop this around to other studios and possibly cancel whatever deal they have with Embracer. I mean, this is a big IP something that we might actually see films starting to come out of um, in the next few years. But I don't know how all this works. I don't know who actually, you know, has the rights to make that kind of game right now. And if it's like an ironclad contract or whatever, I, who fucking knows? All I know is us fans really want to see this game done in a new lens, as the story is still one of the best ever told in Star Wars history. So it's a shame that its remake has just been hit with turbulence time after time you know this could be a really great game to remake in like unreal engine 5 you're seeing that much of a leap that's the kind of remakes that we want to see not last of us getting a remake every three years with slight graphical updates but you know the future is uncertain we will keep an eye out on this ongoing story in the meantime i'm still streaming you know we're gonna keep pushing through more marvel spider-man 2 probably going to do some longer ones at night this weekend so stop by say hi as we keep swinging through the story. Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five-star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by theamazingnerdshow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some nerd show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture and whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show. This holiday season, prepare to have the stuffing scared out of you. 
Thanksgiving. <laughs> 